Welcome to Cats and Charts. I'm Susie. I'm Rebecca. Each week we explore an academic paper as if we were chatting to our mums. Ciao mamma. Hi mum. Just as importantly, we will give you updates on our furry friends Calvin and Agnes. Okay, you ready? My best friend's my cat. My cat's my best friend. Okay, Susie, what are we doing this week? Oh, so this week um, we are uh, presenting a paper that, uh, if I remember correctly, was uh, also forwarded by your uh, awesome friend who is an archaeologist. Is that correct? I still need to check that he is an archaeologist. I'm sure that he'll listen to these episodes and write in and be like, no, hun, this is my actual job. But in my head, he's Indiana Jones. So Yeah, your Indiana Jones friend called uh, uh, Don. Yeah. Great. Um, and it's titled um, Reconsidering Obstetric Death and Female Fertility in Anglo-Saxon England Woo! and was published in uh, June 2013 and it's by uh, Duncan Sawyer and Sam Dickinson. Um, so this is actually a topic that you're probably very much more familiar with, <laughs> you know, being a doctor and all. Um, I should point out, though, not a ba- I'm not I'm not a women's health doctor, nor an obstetric doctor, nor a gynecologist. Yes, um, sure. But I'm sure there are many terms within this paper that you're like, yeah, sure, I know this. Well, I had to Google lots of stuff, but okay. that's fine because it's good to learn. To start with the beginning, uh, this paper is looking at a period of history uh, that uh, is named the Anglo-Saxon period. And I'm sure you actually studied a lot of this at school. No, um, I just not. did the Nazis again and again and again. Every year we learned oh. about how bad the Nazis were. Honestly, Hitler, not goody. <laughs> That's all I've got, sorry. That's all you learned, okay, great. Because yeah. um, I, I, in Italy, they don't teach you much about the Anglo-Saxons. They teach you a lot about the Romans. But do I remember <laughs> any of this? No. <laughs> so, you know, even if this article had been about the Roman times, I wouldn't know nothing. So never mind, it's useful. So the Anglo-Saxon uh, refers to a period in the history of Britain, uh, generally defined as the years between the end of the Roman occupation and the Roman conquest. If that tells you anything, you know, that's great. <laughs> um, specifically, the archaeological finds that we're talking about here were originally from 450 to 700 uh, AD. It's like 1500 years ago? 1500 years ago, yeah, sure. Like give or take, some, some change. Sure, sure, yeah, sure. Thank yeah. you. Specifically, this paper looks at death in childbirth, in childbirth, but 1500 years ago. So we're looking at bones, right? <laughs> Which is, again, like last, last episode when we talked about um, Neolithic cats, uh, which were always looking at bones, although that was, um, you know, 10,000 years ago. This is a bit more recent. It's only 1500 years ago. So exciting. Um, but no, I, I love that, you know, in this case, archaeology is not only about, uh, you know, understanding the people that lived at the time, but also looking a bit like a detective, how these people died, which is very cool. <laughs> I mean, it's cool if you're me. Anyway, so the archaeological rule for defining death in childbirth up until, I guess, this paper um, was to basically uh, by direct association. So if the bones of a fetus are found within the pelvic area of um, a woman, a dead woman, the bones, um, so within the, the hips, then the archaeologist would have said, yes, this woman died in childbirth. 
Another fun fact about archaeology and death in childbirth is that they used to uh, assess these kind of findings with a baby sort of lodged between the hips of a woman as a uh, coffin birth. This is described as when the, the, the fetus, the tiny baby that, you know, they then survive birth is not exactly within the mom's tummy, if you want, but is sort of across the birth canal. Um, so, you know, halfway through the tummy and the leg. And um, archaeologists basically said, okay, this is basically happened because when the mummy died, uh, when the body decomposed, uh, there were some gases that sort of build up inside the body. I mean, it's a bit grim, I apologize, but that sort of pushed the, the fetus out slightly. And so this is how they sort of explained a baby half lodged within a woman in a grave. Now, coffin births are debatable in the sense that the, the authors of this paper point out that if you are buried under a lot of dirt, it's unlikely that whatever gases are building up in your tummy will push a baby out and pushing the several meters of dirt above you as well. And that is a very, very good point. <laughs> so um, I mentioned coffin births because it's a cool fun fact, but actually the authors say, uh, actually, you know, this is not a really probable way. Yeah. Um, in fact, the most probable way is that this woman actually died with the baby within their hips. So yeah. died during childbirth yes. and and they were buried like that. So that's actually a more probable explanation for us how, why the fetus was, yeah, it's, it's all a bit grim and it's not very pleasant. So we're looking at Anglo-Saxons and uh, death in childbirth. What this paper is trying to do is sort of trying to assess how often women in the Anglo-Saxons times uh, died in childbirth. So ideally you'd say they always died in childbirth if you find a tiny baby in between their bones, but it's not that simple. Let's go with the start point, which is the cemetery. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a, um, a place called um, Oakington, please correct my pronunciation. I've got no idea, mate. <laughs> which is the site of an early Anglo-Saxon cemetery. Um, so excavation in the site started in like the 1920s and went on again like, until recent times. And the, one of the excavations that is from this paper was actually done in uh, June 2011. So not so long ago, uh, 10 years ago, fine. Seems like yesterday, 2011, what happened? I don't know. <laughs> um, and they found lots of graves in this site, um, uh, 70 graves, in fact. Um, and lots of them had grave goods, as they're called. So there were, you know, weapons or shield or swords, if there were men bones. Uh, so like a really, really cool excavation site. Um, and this site is also exceptional because it has also large quantities of infant uh, burials from a period of time where they're quite rare. Archaeologists think that infant burials are rare, not because babies and children didn't die at the time. There, there probably was like a really high mortality rate, mm -hmm. um, but because the bones of children are more fragile and they probably had shallower graves, it's possible that any bone that was, you know, any, any child that was buried actually would, you wouldn't find it just because time passed, you know, 1500 years ago, whatever. So this is the thing, this cemetery. And then the paper opens with a bit of a mystery, which is the mystery of grave 57. Dun, dun, dun. So grave 57 was a bit of a mystery because it contained a woman with um, a, a fetus stuck across her hips in a transversal way. So she, it, the baby was basically stuck perpendicular to her spine, if you want, 90 degrees to her spine, 
which I've learned is a specific, uh, there is a specific way of saying this, which is transverse lie or something. That's the one. Yeah. Perfect. It's a position that they say it's very unlikely to resolve from the coffin birth because, you know, the baby's like not the through the vagina canal. Yes. It's like stuck that way. I've read also that is a complicated birth even in modern times today. And usually you have a cesarean section, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Thank you. And so it's very likely that this poor lady died with the baby stuck there, which is horrible. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it actually, I read an article about how, when this was found by the students and, and, and the archaeologists there. And it was probably quite, you know, a sad discovery because you think about what happened to this woman and, mm-hmm. you know, her family and stuff like that. And this, this lady was aged between 25 and 30. I don't know exactly how they can tell this, but they can tell from her bones that she worked and um, and she was probably also a well-regarded lady because they found some rich items in her grave, including uh, two brooches. And and then the students nicknamed them Queenie as well, <laughs> because she was so she was one of the richest graves in in the in the cemetery. Mm-hmm. The mystery around this grave is why this grave was at the edge of the cemetery. So as far as I've read online, and I'm happy to be corrected, <laughs> is that in a cemetery you would put everyone in the center nobody would be far away unless there was some sort of belief or you would marginalize for whatever reason for example in um, other cemeteries they um, buried people with malformations or um, disabilities in the outer edges of mm-hmm. graves so it's not really understood why this woman who was clearly you know well off or well loved because of this brooches that were found was not buried within the center of the cemetery but actually um far away so the mystery is what happened to this woman she most likely died in childbirth but why is her grave all the way there you know effectively you can't go back 1500 years ago and ask them what happened (laughs) but the authors um look at other cemeteries and how during the anglo-saxon times women were buried and whether there were babies buried with them and uh, or children and so on and they list lots of different cases. It's it's fun reading, fun if you like, you know, grim details of death. They look at why, how often, and in which cases children were buried with women. Um, so they basically say if the the bones of the uh, baby are you know neonatal, uh, mm-hmm. like a fetus, then it's probably likely that that was a childbirth death. You know, and they argue that it was either during birth, so the baby is around the hips of the woman, or, you know, soon after birth. Um, It names lots of different ways by which women could die after birth as well, including, you know, infection, sepsis, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's very likely that if the mummy died, the baby probably died as well, because there weren't, I guess, lots of ways of taking care of a tiny newborn baby at the Anglo-Saxon times. Mm -hmm. Um, So the occurrence of these double graves probably due to childbirth death or around childbirth death. Mm-hmm. However, there are also other graves uh, where, where you find um, uh, a woman or a man and another baby. And there's different theories for that. So one theory is that they were, um, and these are graves that are also found at the outside of a cemetery. And uh, <laughs> that was a really funny part of the article where they basically said, you know, if this person was uh, disabled or had died of a very serious terminal illness or something, then they would add um, a, a tiny child as a sort of human sacrifice in the same grave to add value to the grave. Now, I am definitely not an historian, so this whole context is a bit strange to me. But they wouldn't kill that child. 
it does mention human sacrifice. So but I mean, that sounds like they kill the child, but that sounds weird because if they weird. children died anyway all the time, they wouldn't be really smart to kill more. Yeah, I was confused by that bit. I wondered whether they just meant there was a high rate of infant mortality. Then when a baby happened to die, they just put it with the, the, the person that died around the same time. Like that yeah. was a bit confusing for me as well, to be honest. I think that sounds better. But I feel like the paper would have made a bigger deal if they were alleging infanticide, you know? Yeah, maybe you're right. I mean, it does say specifically human sacrifice, but maybe they do mean it in that respect. Yeah. Rather than actually actively killing a baby. Yeah. Let's hope so. <laughs> <laughs> they also note that um, analyzing all these grades where you find women with children, uh, there isn't an actual pattern. So there, there isn't a pattern where all these women were um, uh, disabled, for example, or whether they had sign of any uh, sort of weird malformation that justified having a baby there to add value to their grade, or you know they weren't um, all old or something. They were they were all across the spectrum of women fertility. So you know between the age of um, early twenties to late forties, and oh sorry, and the, the other point is that they also found children that were uh, buried alone. So that means that, you know, hopefully women didn't always die of childbirth with the baby. Like sometimes perhaps a baby died alone. The conclusion that I got from this part is that it was pretty common for women to die in childbirth in the Anglo-Saxon times. However, it's quite hard to say how common that was. The one thing that they note is that in the Anglo-Saxon times at least, they didn't have the practice of um, if a woman died in childbirth to take the baby out. So that was apparently a very uh, quite disturbing practice, actually, that was um, um, added uh, during Christianity. Isn't it, isn't it great? So Christianity laws dictated to remove the baby because the baby wasn't baptized. And so you had to remove it and then you bury the woman without the baby. But didn't, this wasn't a practice in the Anglo-Saxon times. So they say, I don't know if that's worse. I don't, I don't know either, to be honest. <laughs> uh, leave it to them to decide if it was their decision. So it's hard to tell how common it is for women to die in childbirth. It's likely that, you know, if a woman was buried with the child, then she probably died in childbirth, but not always the case. They also have some, they try to compare mortality. And of course, it's hard to compare mortality between, you know, today and 1500 years ago. Mm-hmm. And they try to compare that with some data from, the 1990s um, and from developing countries. Um, and they basically show that uh, according to the statistics from the 1990s at the time, 99% of maternal death took place in developing countries. And that's because you know lack of access to hospitals, being in rural areas, um, women getting pregnant at a really, really early age uh, that increases the chance of um, uh, a mummy uh, not making it through childbirth. Anyway, they compare these data between a developing country and uh, chances of finding a child within a grave in the Anglo-Saxon cemeteries. So the figures that they compare with developing countries and mortality rate around Anglo-Saxon times is that women, uh, about 38% of Anglo-Saxon female mortality was around the time where they were more fertile, which kind of they drive that assumption to say, right, so a lot of women probably died in childbirth. And they make, they make a reference to a particular case where there is an older woman, and by older, I mean she was 40. Wow. That's a big moment. Bear in mind, guys, she was probably 40. <laughs> and she was buried uh, along with a, with a baby. 
and they they can say well maybe she had like a thousand children sorry not a thousand maybe she had like 10 children and then she sadly died at the age of 40 which was the age of 100 for now um, <laughs> and you know probably giving birth to that baby which is again very very sad other fun facts <laughs> if you want to know more fun facts from these papers another conclusion that this paper tried to make is that the anglo-saxon try to sort of place control over female female fertility sure now i all with good societies part. do yeah i mean why not we should always dictate how women reproduce themselves because that's a norm isn't it uh, but another fun fact from the paper is that during the anglo-saxon times there were laws from uh, the king of kent edelbert if you're looking for a good name for a child maybe edelbert is the one <laughs> And these laws regulated sex with women and they had fines against men for engaging in sex with a king's maiden or slaves or other people's women, basically. Hilariously, they also regulated adultery, whereby if a man slept with another man's wife, the man whose wife had been selected could obtain a replacement. Now, these are, this is how they regulated female fertility, and I just really struggled to connect the dots. But anyway, we're talking about Anglo-Saxon times, so. <laughs> conclusions. I had to actually have a slide with conclusions, even though you might have been completely lost at this point, which is very possible. Um, the conclusion is the presence of an infant within the grave of an early Anglo-Saxon woman may not be that sort of additive to make the woman with disabilities or some weird exotic disease are more important, but actually could have been a symbol of her fertility or a representation of their family identity, like the older women that died at the age of 40 with the baby buried next to her. Um, however, because of the circumstances of all these graves are so different and there isn't really a pattern, the authors basically say it's likely that any woman that was buried with an infant, you know, must have died in childbirth, likely. Um, however, because there isn't really a pattern, it's probably due to, um, you know, each family deciding how to do their funeral, where to bury them, etc., etc. So they didn't really solve the mystery of grave 57 in that respect. Uh, it's probably just the family just decided to bury her there because they liked that spot or because you know, there was some sort of weird superstition around her death. For example, they, you know, they put lots of um, um, items for her to be in the grave. However, everyone was a bit scared because she died in childbirth or something. And so they put her far away from the rest. We don't know. Uh, it's very likely that lots of women uh, died in childbirth or thereafter um, very shortly. And if a mummy died uh, soon after birth, the chances of the baby surviving were very limited which means that Rebecca, you and I, that Jada Turthy in the Anglo-Saxon times would have probably had, had uh, you know, seven children by then and they'd be very close to be dying of the next birth. And, oh, and, you know, of our five children, only two probably would be still alive. Well, my first question would, was going to be, would we have survived? I wrote it in big <laughs> letters in my notes. So uh, for context, uh, I'm 29 and you're 30 at the moment. Uh, yes. No children between us yet other than the cats. We're not surviving Anglo-Saxon time, are we? No, no, I don't, I don't think so. I would have died really soon anyway, because I'm very short-sighted. Uh, that meant that would have been pretty useless. I had horrible ear infections as a kid. I'm sure that one of them would have like, just killed me through sepsis. Yeah, I also fell a lot. So any, any little cut would have probably killed me as well. It just made me think that Neolithic cats really had it. Like being a cat at this time was probably the solution. I always find it 
I was going to say entertaining, but maybe the other word is depressing. Um, to think about what it would have been and unlike to be a woman at any other stage in history. Yeah. Uh, because I think even though things aren't right now, they are probably better than they would have been in another time. Yeah, I was good. I don't even remember how I got there, but I was Googling maybe childbirth in Anglo-Saxon times or something. And I ended up in an article, a short article that was basically a review of a book about women. I think it was childbirth over times. And there was an extract from letters of uh, women in the States during the pioneer times. Mm -hmm. And there was a letter from a woman that said, I am writing to you now and I cannot believe I have 11 children. Writing seems something I cannot do. And it was just like, oh my God. <laughs> anyway, I think th that book might be interesting. Maybe I should, I should look it up again. Yeah, we would have had so many children by then. And what does it tell us about practices and rituals, if anything? I guess it was interesting to, to see that people sort of put different goods within their graves. In terms of rituals, another fun fact that I saw was that in the Anglo-Saxon times, they weren't really good at measuring you know, a person died and they sort of, you know, composed them somewhere else mm -hmm. and they dug the grave. But a lot of the times these graves were not the right measures. So often they found skeletons kind of like scrunched up <laughs> because because the grave was too small for them. And he just like, how could you get the measures so wrong? <laughs> Did you not have meters? <laughs> what does it tell us about modern childbirth? And are women really supposed to reproduce? <laughs> answer this question you can answer this question because you tell me lots of stories about childbirth i only go to the bad ones i only go to the bad deliveries i don't go to the beautiful like whale music deliveries i only go to the bad ones well then you you know you can answer this better because i've seen no deliveries <laughs> <laughs> yes i maybe maybe women i don't understand how the human race got this far because mothers are quite essential like if you're having your third child and you die in childbirth your first two children do still need like parenting mm -hmm. I don't know weird I mean yeah mother medicine and society helped I think I read a good sentence from that paper from the article that talked about the poor woman giving birth to 11 children and it was arguing that um over the over the centuries there's mm -hmm. there was this change of sort of mother as like a woman's job is to constantly reproduce so a woman would have spent you know all their life being pregnant mm -hmm. to to you know recent more recent times where you actually put more value not even at the beginning it wasn't even about the woman it's mm -hmm. never really about the mother um giving importance to dedicating attention to a child so if you have 11 children obviously the attention to dedicate to them is limited you know in the past century or so there's been sort of attention of you know, we're growing this child, we're giving attention to that child. And there was um, evidence of someone being interviewed in London in the 1940s and being asked, how many children do you want to have? And this woman said, you only need one, don't you? <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> the, you know, in the 1940s, there was this shift of like, you need to dedicate full attention to a child for them to grow properly, not just, you know, have 11 children. I'm not saying that whoever has 11 children doesn't pay attention to their children. That's absolutely not true. But it is also true that for anyone having a fulfilled life you do need also time for yourself and I guess that as a mom of 11 children you probably wouldn't have a lot of that time I don't know I mean I cannot speak about motherhood and it looks really hard and um, if we were in the Anglo-Saxon times it would have been even harder so we would like to again thank both of our mothers for raising yep. us yep thank Thanks. you moms um on that note would you like to <laughs> tell me more about Calvin how's he been this week 
Oh, let me think about Calvin. He's been a bit of a pain, to be honest. Um, he harpooned my finger yesterday, which is really annoying. I was just lying in bed waiting for the alarm to ring, but Calvin decided that, you know, it was breakfast time. Mm-hmm. And um, accidentally, my fingers sort of were outside of the duvet. And, you know, there is that limit within, if something yeah. is completely inside the duvet, you're safe. Yeah. If it's completely out, you're also safe. Yeah. If it's in between. Yeah you're not safe. No. And then Calvin just sort of harpooned my finger and it's, I now got three tiny scratches, which are really annoying. I'm not about to die. If I was in Anglo-Saxon time, I would be dead by now. Yes, yes sepsis would have gotten you, but yes. Um, okay. like, Calvin would not get dinner. <laughs> that would teach him. And um, how has Agnes been? She's good, thank you. I've got a new flatmate. And whilst I was making up my new flatmate's double bed, Agnes got onto the double bed and then refused to move from it, despite Monica being like, hey, but I sleep there. <laughs> see Agnes being like, oh, finally, finally, you've made me a bed in my own bedroom. Thank you very much. She just wants her own space, but also your space. She's just like, every space is Agnes' space. <laughs> yep. Excellent presentation this week, Suze. Thank you so much. Thank you. I've enjoyed reading this paper. Thank you for your questions. Okay, so we'll be back. Same cat time, same cat place. I've been Rebecca. <laughs> and it was Suzy. Um, and this is Cats and Charts. Woo!